Welcome to The Breakdown with INFB. We're your host, Garrett Kelly. And Heidi Gantz. On today's episode, we dig into the state of hemp production in Indiana. A large number of Indiana farmers jumped at the opportunity to grow hemp a few years ago after new legislation was passed in Indiana. Now in 2023, we wanted to know what hemp production looks like after a few years on the market and what the future is for the newer crop. So we're talking to Marguerite Bolt, Hemp Extension Specialist for Purdue University, to learn more. So welcome, Marguerite. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Marguerite. Let's start talking a a little bit about your background. What do you do as the Hemp Specialist at Purdue, and and how did you end up there? Yeah, so a lot of my day-to-day is variable, especially during the summer months. But the primary role of the research is to educate people within the state of Indiana, and really the reach has extended to the the Midwest and beyond. I work with uh, national hemp groups as well to help people determine if hemp is going to be a reasonable crop for them to integrate in their production, or if there's another way they might be able to get involved in the industry, or um, maybe it's talking people out of producing. Not everyone is a, a great fit for this newer crop. Uh, And then I also do a lot of education because there's a lot of misunderstanding around the crop, what it is, what it's used for, and its history. So it's a very education-focused role. Uh, I do, however, conduct research. So I'm part of several large USDA trials. So I'm actively conducting research on hemp, grain, and fiber production at our agronomy farm near campus. And how did you end up doing that in the first place? That's a very specific career path. Yes, it is. Uh, My background is in entomology. So I got a bachelor's degree from Michigan State University. I'm a Michigander. I grew up on a specialty crops farm. So a lot of vegetable production, sweet corn, not hemp. Uh, It was not legal at that point in Michigan when I was doing my undergraduate degree. So I actually spent a lot more time working in specialty crops, uh, including tree fruit. So Michigan's a big tree fruit state. So I worked on insect pests in tree fruit. And by chance, I was able to come to Purdue to get an opportunity pursuing a master's degree in the entomology department here, studying hemp-insect interactions. So I never thought when I was looking for a master's program that I would be working on an annual plant, let alone hemp. I thought I was going to stick with fruit, uh, perennial fruit particularly. So it was kind of by chance. And then this position was created in response to the 2018 Farm Bill. Purdue knew there were going to be a lot of questions around the Farm Bill and production, and they really needed someone to take on that educational role. And I interviewed and got hired. And fortunately, I had two years of production and research experience under my belt, which was really helpful. Very interesting. So let's let's get into some of that education because uh, I think probably a lot of our listeners don't really understand a lot about hemp. So for those who aren't familiar with the crop, can you talk about some of the uses or, or markets for the different parts? I know it's not just like, a you know, you harvest it and it's just one thing, you know, there's the fibers, the, the oil. Can you talk about some of those uses? Yeah. So a lot of people kind of put hemp into very specific categories. The most common one is, well, don't you make rope with that? Which is true. You can make some pretty strong rope with the hemp fibers, but generally I put it the, the crop into three sort of production categories because they're produced differently. We have different varieties for different end uses. So I kind of go into fiber production and that's really producing the, the crop for the stock. And that could be for textiles, 
non-woven technical fibers. You can use the inner part of the stock, the herd that has a lot of interest in building materials. Some people may have heard about hempcrete, which has uh, a combination of lime water and that inner sort of woody material to make uh, a paste that can be formed into blocks. It can be packed into sort of stick built homes for insulation. Animal bedding is another application for that herd that's really gaining popularity for both people with livestock, really horses. Uh, horse owners are really interested in the bedding as well as people with cats. So there's some kitty litter brands that have developed products that have that inner hemp stock material in them. Then we have the sort of grain or seed production that can be for oil. So you can crush the seeds for oil, but you can also use that meal or that cake. Uh, it could be considered a byproduct, but it's really high in protein and dietary fiber. So there's a lot of applications in sort of the plant-based food market. We don't have animal feed legal federally at this point, but there would be a lot of applications for that meal in the animal sector. And then we have cannabinoid, which is the one that gained a lot of traction across the U.S., including in Indiana. And that's harvesting the flowers, so unfertilized female flowers, and extracting oil from those flowers, but it's it's not seed oil. It's very different in both chemical composition, but also how we actually extract the oil itself. So usually there's some kind of solvent involved in that extraction. And that's for tons of different plant compounds, but the primary focus is for cannabinoids, uh, primarily CBD, as well as terpenes or aromatic compounds. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of uses. That's crazy. So a, a lot of this was spurred on by the 2018 Farm Bill, which you mentioned. So hemp was no longer regulated under the Controlled Substance Act. And then there was subsequent legislation in Indiana uh, that allowed farmers to start growing it. So can you talk about, I mean, you were there at the ground level, uh, how and why it kind of really took off in 2019 and what that was like? Yeah, so eliminating that production barrier in Indiana, but elsewhere. So each state kind of handled their pilot programs before that 2018 Farm Bill differently. So in Indiana, production was very, very controlled like many other states. And so once the Farm Bill was signed, it kind of opened the floodgates in interest in production. And states like Kentucky and Colorado that were allowing production prior to the 2018 Farm Bill in, in a more sort of commercial sense, those growers were talking about really high profitability. And farming is incredibly difficult and margins are very slim. And so if a grower hears, oh my gosh, I can plant an acre of this crop and make you know, $20,000, even $10,000 in returns, that is pretty incredible. And you get a lot of interest when you hear those numbers. And so we really saw this jump in production acres across the US. I mean, it was pretty incredible to go to conferences where thousands and thousands of people who weren't formerly involved in the agricultural sector start to get involved because of this crop. We had a field day that gained so much interest that we actually had to do a second field day because we couldn't handle the capacity. So we had um, several hundred people attend you know, these two events in 2019. And it was just an incredible amount of interest, largely based on, you know, information coming out of these other states, which were dominating the market. I mean, they really were making pretty great returns because production acres were relatively low across the U.S. and there was, you know, demand for CBD products. And there still is demand for CBD products. We just had a lot more production acres and a lot more material getting harvested at the end of 2019. 
So that's how it started then in Indiana, at least. So where is the hemp crop in Indiana today? I would assume that a lot of people have stopped after trying it. Yeah, production acres are way down. I don't have the reports for what was actually planted this year. Uh, That's all run through the state chemist office. So we'll have production reports at the end of the year on what was actually planted and harvested, but very, very small compared to 2019 numbers and even 2020 numbers. People are still pretty heavily invested in the industry. We've seen kind of a shift in interest and in some of the production acres away from cannabinoid production or CBD production towards grain and fiber. And part of that is because we had a huge amount of CBD production across the U.S. Mm -hmm. and there is an influx of material going to processors. Part of it, I think, comes from an understanding that the crop is more complex and has more applications than a lot of people may have first thought of. And there are more processors that are being built throughout the United States that can actually handle the stock material and turn it into those products because there's numbers like hemp can go into 25,000 different products, not necessarily unique products. It's replacing something else. That's great. But how are you going to get it into those products? So you need multiple steps of processing to do that. And now we're starting to see maybe a little bit of catch up with some of those processors And growers, of course, at this point, I think are being a little bit more cautious because we've seen, you know, this sort of crash in prices for CBD hemp and we've seen a huge decrease in production acres across the country. So I think now maybe there's some apprehension, which is okay, because hopefully that means people are kind of waiting and planning rather than just jumping into production um, without sort of a, a solid plan to sell their crop. We were going to ask about the trends leading to that, and you covered a lot of those supply and demand processing is, is a big factor in that. So if there's somebody who hasn't jumped in, hasn't, hasn't learned about kind of the production challenges with hemp, wh- where do they go to learn that and kind of get that baseline to even see if this is a good idea to try? Yeah. So usually they call me. <laughs> I get a lot of phone calls uh, from people that say, I know very little about this crop. Where are good resources that I can read or listen to? Can you help me? So generally, I will direct them to our website. uh, But usually, if they have my phone number or email address, they've looked through the website and they're looking for even more resources or getting more involved in the nuances of production. So there are a lot of other university resources available as well. There's more and more literature. So I will send scientific articles. I'll send extension publications. There are some great videos out there. If people are visual learners and they want to, you know, see what's going on in the field. And then, of course, going to in-person events is another option. We try to host a field day every year. We had one back in July for the grain and fiber trial. So we had folks come out from a range of backgrounds to learn about research projects, learn about production in the state. We had one of our regulators out who discussed some of the regulatory uh, issues and answered questions that some of the growers that attended had. So those are all great options. And then another one that has been pretty successful, if they can find a hemp grower in their area, going out and just talking with them. The hemp community has been relatively open with sharing, you know, production challenges and things that they've kind of figured out. And so we have growers that kind of team up together to try to solve problems or learn from each other. So lots of different ways to sort of gain information without applying for a license, paying that fee and ordering seed. I guess I could imagine 
the first obstacle is obviously figuring out how to best grow the crop. Then it's what to do with it after, because like you said, there's so many different uses for it, but it sounds like maybe that was one of the biggest hurdles is in the growth, at least are the people who can take it on after it's been harvested. So is that industry growing the actual processing of all the different parts of hemp? Yeah, it has definitely increased since I started, uh, with the exception of cannabinoid, because there were a lot of cannabinoid processors that came online in 2019, or we had folks sending material down to Kentucky because interstate commerce was allowed at that point. So those processing facilities were a little bit more developed. On the fiber side in particular, there has been a lot more growth. It's been primarily driven by Western states, which is challenging because the cost of shipping tons or you know large bales of hemp stocks would be cost prohibitive from here to Montana or Idaho. So that's not really going to work. We do have a company that is making Indiana sort of headquarters for fiber processing. There's a fiber processor in Southern Illinois that is actively taking stock material from growers and turning it into... Uh, materials that could go into building supplies, it could go for animal bedding, not quite textile grade fibers, I think at this point, at least that I saw on their website, but fibers that might go for like stuffing material. Um, So there are more popping up in the Midwest. We're definitely seeing an increase. And I think that's driving some of the interest from growers to look at fiber as an option for them, because now there actually is you know, a realistic chance of selling their crop. And generally we try to get people who are interested to work backwards. So what do you think you want to sell the crop for or what kind of end use are you looking at? If you really want it to go to textiles, that might be more challenging. Most of the textile production and processing in the U.S. is in the Southern states. So maybe that isn't the best option, but maybe there's a possibility of looking at animal bedding as an end use and you could send it to Southern Illinois. Uh, And then kind of going back, okay, how are you going to store it? How are you going to harvest it? And then we can get into the production details because hemp can grow relatively well in Indiana, but it doesn't do much good if you have you know, a harvested crop. And then what do you do with it? Do you have a space to store it if a a buyer falls through? That's been an issue in the past. So definitely something I want prospective growers to think about. Yes. Do your business planning. But, but as you uh, (laughs) kind of talked about the production side of it, what's kind of the, what's the planting season, harvest season, what soil type does it do well? Can you kind of highlight some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So generally people are targeting planting date sometime in May. Now, if they're, you know, farming corn as well, it's probably going to be their priority and they're going to get that in the ground first. But we see hemp do really well with a, a May planting date. You can push it later in the season, depending on where you are and the genetics you have. So it is a photo period sensitive crop. So it responds to that change in day length. So you want to be, you know, sort of cognizant of your planting date. If you want a really tall fiber crop, you're probably not going to get that if you plant in June compared to if you can get it uh, in the ground in mid-May, for example. So sort of a similar window as corn. And then for fiber harvest, you typically harvest green. So that's about a 90-day growth cycle. So it's pretty short. And then grain is typically a little bit longer, but it's determinate on those genetics. So anywhere from usually early September to an October harvest. So again, genetics are a huge component of 
you know, your growth and harvest window, just like any other crop. So I know you had mentioned what people think about hemp. A lot of people think the CBD and I know consumer perception is is something that sounds like you guys are still kind of trying to work through. Do you get a lot of people that just still assume hemp is marijuana? Oh yes. All the time. (laughs) Um, That's usually my first slide. If I'm giving a talk to a more public audience that I know doesn't have much of a background in hemp or cannabis in general. So that's a big one is yes to the same plant species. No, you're not going to get high if you smoke a hemp plant. Um, You might get a headache and probably not feel great, but you're not going to have that psychoactive effect. I mean, by definition, hemp is 0.3% THC on a dry weight basis. So very, very low, low amounts of that psychoactive compound. So everyone starts from a different place. I want to make sure I can cover that basic information and and people can kind of catch up, but it's totally understandable that, you know, people might confuse them because again, they're the same species. When you go out to a CBD farm, it can look very much like a marijuana farm that you would see in a state where it's legal. I mean, they're grown in very similar ways with an all-female population. They're kind of babied. You take care of the plants pretty intensively in those systems. So the, it can be confusing for people. If people come up and say, oh my gosh, you're growing marijuana. It's like, well, no, I'm not. No, the university would not allow that. And it's also not legal in Indiana. So I'm not growing a field full of marijuana. I'm growing you know, CBD hemp for research to you know figure out what genetics work well in our area. That's that's a big one. And then of course, um, the question of, well, what can you do with it? What's it good for? Is usually the next sort of question that people who aren't super familiar with the crop ask. So we've had kind of a 30,000 foot view of some of the challenges, some of the opportunities. So you mentioned some other states that are having success. Can you kind of elaborate what those are and then maybe where you see Indiana going in the future? Is there still hope for this really taking off in the state, you think? Yeah. So I mentioned some of the Western states. Montana's a standout state, really, because they have a very large production facility for both grain and fiber processing. And they are doing a really great job of supporting growers that want to produce this crop. They're doing a great job supporting, you know, smaller communities in rural Montana by having this large production facility and having products that can go into different applications. So some of the fiber material goes into insulation. The Western states have, I think part of it has been from support from, you know, regulators, but I think part of it is just having people that have the financial backing or the ability to finance these really large processing companies want to be in those areas. So that's a big driver. Um, I think that's something that we can see in Indiana. I mean, I mentioned a company that's coming in and Indiana's it's sort of headquarters for fiber processing and hemp material that's going to go into building products, that would be a huge game changer for us because now we actually have not only end products, but that initial fiber processing for our growers to send their bales of hemp stocks to. So that's one of the the big drivers that we see in those other states and something that I think will push hemp production forward in Indiana because certainly why grow a crop if you have nowhere to take it? It is a beautiful plant and I love growing it. And there are lots of benefits that it has and that we're learning about to the the soil and the environment. But when it comes down to it, you know, farmers need to generate an income. They need to be able to continue to farm. And so I, I don't like to necessarily try to sell hemp as 
this crop that everyone should plant should be planted everywhere. It's going to replace everything. We need to figure out realistically how it can fit in to our sort of current rotation models and how farmers are, you know, realistically going to be able to manage and sell the crop as a whole, not just, well, it provides some benefits to the soil. Um, but then what are you going to do with all this biomass? So we got to look at that whole picture when we consider how the industry is going to move forward. This has been super interesting for me, at least. I know a lot of our listeners will find it very interesting too, because I think it is something that a lot of us are not very educated about. And I I want to learn more. So I hope our, our listeners do as well. And, and they reach out to you if they have questions. We always try to end our, our podcast and kind of let you tell us if there's anything that we missed that you think our listeners should know or or anything coming up on the horizon in your industry that that people should be on the lookout for. Yeah, so I'm in the Department of Agronomy, but I work with a bunch of wonderful faculty, staff, graduate students, undergrads from multiple departments and we've done a lot of work recently with our food science department and so we will have an event. We haven't picked the date, it'll be sometime next winter after the holidays. That's going to focus on food applications of hemp. This includes both the seeds, but also applications for uh, components of the stock. So some food packaging applications, maybe some other cool applications. I don't want to say too much because I want people to actually you know, come, but it's going to be more heavily focused on end uses and some of these novel applications that I think would also help push the industry forward in an area that we haven't gotten a chance to really focus on at Purdue in the hemp sort of sector. So we we have a group of people in food science who are really invested in sort of hemp products. And I would love to see lots of people show up and see the amazing facilities that the Department of Food Science has. They have an incredible pilot plant, uh, but also to learn about hemp and some of these applications that we're investigating here from genetics that have been grown out at the research farm at Purdue. So it's material that we're growing and then testing the quality and figuring out what we can do with it in the food industry. Very cool. Well, you'll have to let us know when that is and we'll have to share that with our members and hopefully we'll get some people there for you. Of course, I will do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marguerite. This was so much fun and uh, we appreciate everything you do. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thanks, Marguerite. If you enjoyed our conversation today, make sure to subscribe to The Breakdown with INFB and even rate and review us to let us know how we're doing. For more information, visit infb.org slash podcast. And next month, because it's never too early to talk about the holidays, we'll have a conversation with some Indiana Christmas tree farmers.